Welcome to Insight, a podcast devoted to subjects that are theological, historical, literary, even cinematic, but especially biblical. I'm your host and presenter, Gary Nation. In the middle of the prologue to John's Gospel, one of the most important themes of the book is introduced, witness. We're going to pick up here from that point. Today we're continuing in the Gospel of John, the first chapter. Last time we saw that mighty prologue to the Gospel of John. Those introductory words which set forth powerfully the doctrine of the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now today, we're going to look beyond that point and see how that began to develop and see who began to believe in Him. Remember, the point and purpose of the Gospel of John is not primarily to tell us about the life and teachings of Jesus and even primarily to tell us about his death and resurrection, although it very much emphasizes that. But it's all for a particular purpose, not just to give us information about Jesus, but that you might believe, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. John wants us to understand who Jesus is. And by, and by understand, he means to believe. If you do not believe, you really do not understand. And so he's pointing us toward faith in Jesus. So how do you come to faith in Jesus? You come through witness. And that first witness is introduced in those first verses that we looked at last week. His name was John. There came, uh, there was a man sent from God whose name for, was John who came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. It seems like an intrusion into that very first part, but it, it isn't at all. Uh, John, the Gospel writer John, introduces us to John the Baptist in order to introduce us to the fact that belief in the Son of God, belief in the One who is the light of the world, begins with the word of testimony. It Skip on down a little bit, verse 15 of chapter 1, John bore witness about him and cried out, He cried out. He didn't say this just in private to certain ones of his disciples. He cried out. This was part of his public message. This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Well, we move down to chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 19. Let's get a little bit further into this and see more of what, what the testimony of John was all about and what it led to. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? The Jews, when he refers to Jews here, he's not talking about the Jews as a people. He's talking about the Jews as an institution, particularly the institution around the temple. They sent priests and Levites to ask him. So this, this was the party of the Sadducees. The other gospel writers mention the Sadducees. John does not. Why? Most scholars believe it was because the Gospel of John was written very, very late, long after the destruction of the temple, and when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in A.D. 70 by the Romans, uh, 
the Sadducees no longer had any reason for existence. Their only reason for existence was to maintain the power of the party of the temple. That's who they were. The Sadducees were the party of the temple. And so John doesn't mention them by name. He simply calls them the Jews. And they sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Now, this is, they're not just asking and inquiring sincerely. They are demanding. These are the people who are saying, We are the people in authority. We demand that you explain to us who you are and why you are doing what you're doing, which is out here in the desert preaching and baptizing people in the Jordan River. Why are you doing all of this? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, isn't that kind of a curious expression? He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. Uses the word confessed twice. Says it twice. He is emphatic about that and includes in between that, he didn't deny. And what is it that he confessed and did not deny? A negative fact. I am not the Christ. You see, he knew, they didn't ask him, are you the Christ? But he knew that that's what they were demanding of him, that he was saying. They didn't want to use the word. He went ahead and supplied it for them. He said, I am not the Christ. Well, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? When they're asking, are you Elijah, they are asking him, are you literally Elijah? You see, Elijah didn't die. He was caught up into heaven in a flaming chariot. And the prophet Malachi, some 400 years earlier to this point, had prophesied that before the Messiah returns, Elijah was going to come basically and clean up Dodge, you know, go clean up the city, make things ready and get things prepared for the Messiah. Well, are you Elijah? He said, no. I'm not Elijah. And when John denies that he's Elijah, he is not contradicted. Some of you perhaps have read the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, in which Jesus affirms later on, after John's imprisonment, this is Elijah who was to come. Jesus is not contradicting John, and John is not contradicting Jesus. John is answering their question literally and directly. No, I am not Elijah. But Jesus is informing his followers. John fulfilled the role that the prophet Elijah was going, was prophesied to fulfill. And so there's no contradiction there. So let, let's get that out of our mind. But John says, no, I'm not Elijah. They said, well, are you the prophet? What prophet? When, you said, when the Jews were asking the question, are you the prophet, they're referring to the prophet that Moses referred to in the book of Deuteronomy because Moses prophesied that one day there is going to come a prophet who speaks directly to God even as Moses did and that he would come. Now there were lots of prophets who came after Moses. But none of them were quite like Moses in the sense of speaking directly to God and taking God's message directly as from face to face to the people. So, but uh, that one was to come. John said, I'm not that guy. You see, 
in their expectation for a Messiah, that was not a simple thing. There were all of these people and all of these persons and all of these expectations that they had. And they had these interpretations of who these people were supposed to be to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. And John said, you're barking up the wrong tree. That's not who I am. You cannot put me in one of the boxes that you have created that you think is from the Bible, but it's not. It's your interpretation, and you're not going to fit me into your interpretation, your narrow interpretation of what the Bible is supposed to be and what the prophecies are supposed to turn out to become. So they said, well, okay, you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. Who are you? What are you? And John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah chapter 40, that's what he's referring to. A voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John said, I'm not one, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the prophet, I'm a voice. I'm a voice. And the point is there, who I am is not important. What I'm saying is what is important. I am a voice. You've got to listen to what I'm saying. The kingdom of God is at hand and you've got to repent. And someone is coming who is mightier than I and I'm not worthy even to unlatch the shoe from his feet. Verse 24, now they had been now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and so there are some others who had been sent. They had been sent from the Pharisees. There's a delegation from the Pharisees. They are mentioned both in John as they are in the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because Pharisees were still around in those days, and people knew who and what Pharisees were. So they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Why are you making people pass through the water? You see, by baptizing people, baptism, that was uh, something that converts to Judaism had to go through. And a cleansing of the body, a washing of the body, symbolic of the washing of the old way of life in order to enter into the life of the covenant that God made with Israel. John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Somebody standing among you, and you don't know, you don't know him. He's standing right there, and you're, you, you've looked right at him, and you don't see him. There's an indication there in this gospel of something that's going to be going all the way through this gospel. People are going to be coming to Jesus, they're going to be talking to Him, and they're going to be seeing Him. And some are going to be seeing Him and believing, and others are going to be seeing Him and not believing at all, and missing who He is. So there's a bit of foreshadowing of things that are going to be taking place in the gospel. Verse 28, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. There's another town of Bethany that's also mentioned in the gospel of John. That's a, a village, that's a suburb of Jerusalem. That's, this is not it. This is a Bethany that is on the east side of the Jordan River. You can go there and visit that spot 
even today if you were to go as a tourist to, the, uh, to Israel and to Jordan and visit that spot. It's a real place and it's John's way of saying these are events that really did happen in a particular time and place. The next day, that's an interesting way that John has of flipping the page. He's continuing with the same story, but he's moving it to another phase. The next day he saw, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who stands before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now some of those who standing, were standing there might, get, might wonder, John, are you confused about this? Don't you understand Judaism? Don't you understand that the Lamb in our sacrificial system, the Lamb belongs to the Passover. But taking away the sin of the world, that's a job in the Day of Atonement that's given to the scapegoat. The goat on whom the high priest lays his head and sends him out to wander off into the wilderness carrying the sins of the people with him. Don't you understand that those are two different beasts? That the lamb of the Passover doesn't take away the sins of the world? Wait, John understands better than that. He under, John understands, first of all, that all of the sacrifices in the law essentially are one. All of them speak of the Christ who is to come. And of all of the sacrifices, the one that is most sensual, the one that inaugurated Israel as a nation, is the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb, when slain, his blood was drained. And that blood was taken and painted in that first Passover, on the doorpost and the lintel of the house of those who observed it. And when the angel of death passed over Egypt, he saw the blood on the doorpost, and he passed over that house and did not take the life of the firstborn as he did the rest in Egypt. Yom Kippur. That's the Hebrew word for the Day of Atonement. You know that. The Jews celebrate Yom Kippur to this day. They don't do it with sacrifices because there's no temple at which to offer sacrifices. But they celebrate Yom Kippur to this day in a very spiritual way. And in this, they confess, they repent, they mourn for their sins, they fast, and so forth. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Kippur, the word for atonement, has an interesting root word. The root word for Kippur means to smear and to cover. To cover as with smearing, like with pitch covering the ark. To smear. What do you do with the blood? You smear it on the doorpost and the lintel. In the very word atonement, is the concept of the smearing of the blood that covers 
the sins of the world. So behold the Lamb of God whose blood covers the sins of the world and takes them away. So he begins to talk about his testimony. And in verse 31 he says, I myself did not know him. For this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Chosen One. He says, I didn't know him. Now some say, how could that be that John didn't know Jesus? Weren't they... Weren't they relatives? Weren't they cousins? Well, actually, literally, John and Jesus, we discover in the Gospel of Luke, were second cousins. Their mothers, Elizabeth the mother of John, Mary the mother of Jesus, were first cousins. We also are told in that story in the Gospel of Luke where they are introduced, Luke chapter 1, that The, uh, the baby that was in Elizabeth's womb, upon beholding Mary coming up to, uh, to them, leapt in the womb for recognition that the mother of the Messiah had come. But here John says, I didn't know him. I didn't know him. That's not saying, it. whether Jesus and John were personally acquainted at this point is not the point. They may have been, they may not have been. There's no evidence that they were personally acquainted, that they had had any personal relationship, but they might have. But that's not at issue here. John's not saying, I didn't know that this was Jesus from Nazareth. I did not know that this was Jesus, the mother of my mother's cousin Mary. He may or may not have known that. He's saying, I did not know who he was until this moment. Why did he not know who he was until this moment? Because he had not yet been revealed to John. Knowing who Jesus is doesn't come by information. It comes by revelation. And what is the revelation that John had? All of the gospel, well, Matthew and Luke. Mark just barely mentions all of this. Um, but Matthew and Luke have a detailed story about the dove coming and descending upon Jesus and the Spirit coming upon him at that time. And Matthew gives it as though... The, as from the crowd's perspective of seeing the dove descend. Matthew, or Luke, gives it as, as though it were from Jesus' own perspective. But John gives, uh, John's gospel gives it from the perspective of John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And then a voice from heaven said, or a voice from God he who sent me to baptize had said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit and descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So there was a prearranged signal from the Father. God had already spoken to John. 
John didn't need the voice from heaven, but John had already received the knowledge from God. This is the, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend, is the Son of God. All of this comes by way of revelation. There's John's point. Knowing who Jesus is doesn't come from information. It comes from revelation. The Holy Spirit's acting through the Word and bearing witness of the Word. Verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, Who are you seeking? Excuse me, he didn't say, Who are you seeking? He says, What are you seeking? I want to make sure I read that correctly. What are you seeking? What are you after? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. And this is a characteristic of John. John is often interpreting Hebrew and Aramaic words for his Greek-speaking audience. So they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come, you'll see. You see, in those days, if you wanted to go to school, there wasn't a school to go to. You went to the teacher. The teacher was the school. So if you wanted to be, if you wanted to go to school, if you wanted to enroll in a school, you went to the teacher and said, can we stay with you? So that's what they're doing. They're coming and requesting. They are changing, they are transferring from John's, John the Baptist school to Jesus. They're the only two. Others may have been standing there watching. And as they, they look, Jesus, he points to Jesus and said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's the Lamb of God. Behold him. Only two guys of those of the disciples of John, John had a lot of disciples, only two of them took off and followed Jesus. Only two of them really paid attention to what he was saying. So true. We get so caught up sometimes in the teacher that we're listening to that we forget to follow the Lord. They went after Jesus, and Jesus said, What can I do for you? He said, can we stay with you? So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about ten, the 10th tenth hour. That's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I think they did more than just stay. I think they did more than just drink tea and uh, talk about the weather. They asked him questions. They wanted to know about the kingdom of God. They wanted to know about him and his part in it. And they asked him questions about the scriptures and they asked him questions about the the what is going on in their present day and what can they do and ask them questions about their lives and Jesus probed them with questions I'm pretty sure so they they talked together and out of this conversation verse 40 one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew Simon Peter's brother so he first found his brother his own brother Simon and said to him we found the Messiah, which means Christ. So there's John giving a translation for the word Messiah, which is Christ. Mashiach is the Hebrew word for anointed one. Christos is the Greek word for anointed one. So Messiah, Christ, it's the same word. So he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, So you're Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, or you might say Cephas. I like to use the Aramaic pronunciation. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. Both of those words mean rock. 
you might see in the other Gospels, Gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke, you might see that elsewhere Jesus named Peter much later. Jesus named him Simon Peter much later. I, John says, oh, he was calling him, he was calling him Cephas. He was calling him Peter all along. It's just in that particular day is when he made a point of announcing it. It was not just simply saying, I'm going to call you that. He was specifying and proclaiming and making a formal declaration. You are Peter on the declaration of his faith, but right now he says, I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you Rock. Because already there was that sign, there was that indication of the character that Jesus was going to call out from this man. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. We don't know who Philip is at this point. He just, Philip is a Galilean. And Jesus finds him and he says, I want you to follow me. So Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. One of, one of the guys from their hometown. So Philip found Nathaniel, another guy in that same area. He said, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So we found the one that Moses was talking about. Philip evidently believes, after his conversation with Jesus, he evidently believes that Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke of. And the other prophets have spoken of this one. And, and who is he? Well, he's Jesus, the son of Joseph. Where is he from? Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, why did he say that? Well, because Nazareth was a nowhere town. Nazareth was a, a city of no importance, a village of no importance, either socially in, in Judea at that time, or prophetically in the scriptures. What's going to come out of Nazareth? You know, Nazareth was just over the hill, a mile or two away from one of the most important cities of that day, Sephora, in Galilee. That town is never, ever mentioned in the New Testament. But Nazareth is. Jesus didn't come from a big city. He didn't come from an important, just a village. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's skeptical. So Philip says to him, well, come and see. And Nathaniel wasn't so skeptical that he was reluctant, so he went along with Philip. And while they're going up to Philip, or while they're coming up, while they're approaching Jesus saw, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? He's rightfully skeptical. I mean, when somebody says to me something that's flattering and I do not know them and I know, I'm pretty sure that they don't know me, I'm wondering, what is this person's motivation? If, some, if somebody who doesn't know you flatters you, worry about their motivation. Check it out. Don't just take it at face value. Nathaniel's not taking it at face value, and he's right not to. How do you know me? Jesus responds with words that we look at and are kind, they're kind of cryptic to us. It says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, 
I saw you. Whatever it was in those words that Jesus said completely flipped Nathaniel. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. That is a pretty dramatic statement of faith out of such a simple statement. Why? We don't know. But whatever it was, it was about that fig tree and about Nathaniel being under that fig tree, it was significant enough that Nathaniel knew. He believed. It was, there was a revelation given to Nathaniel by the words of Jesus at that point that let him know this is the Son of God, and he believed. The hint might be in what comes next, because look at the last words of this chapter. Nathaniel answered him, you are the, Rabbi, you're the Son of God, you're the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, I think he kind of answered him with a little chuckle. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now look at what Jesus' words to, first words to Nathaniel were. An Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. An Israelite, not a Jew, an Israelite. Who was first given the name Israel? A fellow by the name of Jacob. You can read his story in the book of Genesis. Jacob was given the name of Israel after a night in which he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And after wrestling all night with God, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the word of the Lord came to him, Your name is no longer Jacob, it's Israel. Israel means Prince of God. You know what the name Jacob means? It means deceiver. You're no longer a deceiver. You are an Israelite. Whatever had happened to, to Nathaniel under that fig tree, there was, there was probably great repentance going on and coming to grips and becoming honest with who he is as God sees him. And so he saw and he understood. And then Jesus' last words were to him, truly, truly, and when Jesus, those words come out, it, literally, it's amen, amen. It is a solemn oath. And Jesus, is, when he says those words, it's as a very solemn statement of, of truth. I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When Jacob was fleeing his brother Esau, he stopped exhausted at a place and put his head on a stone. A stone was his pillow. He was so exhausted he fell asleep with a stone for his pillow. He had a dream which was not just a dream, it was a vision of a great stairway between heaven and earth, and the angels of God were ascending and descending upon that stairway. Jesus is saying that stairway is the Son of Man. The phrase Son of Man is a phrase that he always uses in reference to himself. He says, I am that stairway. And truly, 
you are going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon me. I am the way. I am that stairway, the bridge between heaven and earth. The truth of this and understanding this can only come by revelation. Now I want to ask you something before we close. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Believing, do you have life in His name? Has it been revealed to you by the Spirit of God acting upon the Word of God? Has that been revealed to you? Do you really know Him by faith? I ask you that question. And I hope that between now and the next time, you find that answer. In our next episode, we're going to see the introduction of another significant theme for this gospel, that of signs. I hope you'll tune in. This is Insight with Gary Nation. Thanks for listening.